My name is Claire Vincent, and I am the host of House Call, an Affinity Strategies podcast. I speak with Kaihan Krippendorf for our 10th episode, The Advantages of an Entrepreneurial Mindset. Some of the topics that Kaihan and I talk about in this episode include internal innovators and the challenges they face, cultivating a positive environment for innovation, the importance of innovation and how it manifests in healthcare. A little bit about Kaihan. He began his career with McKinsey and Company before founding growth strategy and innovation consulting firm OutThinker. Recognized by Thinkers 50 as one of the top eight innovation thought leaders in the world, he is the author of five bestsellers, most recently the Edison Award-nominated Driving Innovation from Within, a Guide for Internal Entrepreneurs. Amid a dizzying schedule of keynote speeches, consulting projects, and ongoing research, Kaihan finds time to teach at business schools globally, including NYU and FIU, write regularly for Fast Company and other major media outlets, and plan an active role on four corporate advisory boards. Hope you enjoy listening to the advantages of an entrepreneurial mindset episode of House Call as much as I enjoyed interviewing Kaihan. Kaihan, thank you so much for joining our show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, thank you. Thank you for making time for us. So I thought maybe we could start out by you talking with us a little bit about your strategy firm, OutThinker. Sure. Yeah. So um, OutThinker, a kind of alternative strategy firm in that we don't have an army of consultants and don't staff projects with people, um, but rather we seek to unlock strategic clarity and innovation through two modes. One is um, through tools, and we train coaches in these tools and conduct training kind of how to think strategically and how to facilitate a really engaging and uh, forward-thinking strategy discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a peer group of strategy executives. So we have a peer group of chief strategy officers of billion-dollar-plus companies and then a peer group of $100 million to a billion and there, it's more peer-to-peer, bringing them together and talking about what the trends and challenges and opportunities, what worked, what hasn't worked. Um, and so, you know, we say through tools and community is how we deliver. Oh, that is fantastic. And remind me, how long have um, has Outlink, OutThinker been around? Huh. So we renamed ourselves OutThinker in 2009. I started doing this under a different name when I had written my first book and left my traditional career in 2004. Okay. Okay. And so how did you come up with the idea for your firm? I found a book that was a translation of an ancient Chinese text like a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And I just got really enthralled with this text and I just started on my own out of my own time, just started collecting cases and kind of building this thing. And that became a book. And when I published the book seven years later, I wasn't sure if I was going to get a chance to write another book. And I really just wanted to swing for the fences and do everything I could to promote the book. So not knowing what I was going to do, I had no plan to build a consulting firm or a speaking business or I didn't know what it was going to be called. Or I just wanted to quit my job and be out there promoting the book and doing stuff with the book. Mm-hmm. And so that just sort of led to this. I learned a lot very slowly along the way. That's awesome. Would you remind our listeners what the name of your first book is? Yes. 
So the name of my first book is called The Art of the Advantage. Very good. And the name of the books that are most, my last two books that are most known, not that they're known, you know, they're not uh, yet New York Times top sellers, but are Outthink the Competition and Driving Innovation from Within. And Mm -hmm. so most of the content work that we do derive from those. Excellent. Excellent. And we will have um, information regarding your books in our show notes so that um, our listeners can uh, take a peek at it there and um, track down uh, your books uh, to to purchase them and read them. Great. So great. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So I do a fair amount of research uh, before I talk with our guests, and I read your April 2022 Fast Company article called Seven Factors That Stop Your Best Ideas and How to Overcome Them, in which you explore this notion of internal innovators. Could you share a bit about what an internal innovator is and some of the steps and maybe barriers they face? Sure. And I'll try to do this succinctly because I could talk about this for like seven hours, literally, <laughs> but very briefly, um, people often think that entrepreneurs are the primary drivers of innovation in society. And mm. I love entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur. But if you look at it, actually, 70% of society's most impactful innovations have come from employees working in established companies. Mm. And particularly in, in health, healthcare is one sector where this is particularly true, MRIs, stents, um, you know, also beyond that, mobile phones, the internet, email, DNA sequencing, all of these innovations came primarily from what I call an internal innovator, an employee working inside an established organization, not in the garage. Mm-hmm. And so that insight led me to say, like, well, then um, – if the next internet, if the next MRI is going to come from an employee, 70% chance going to come from an employee, society needs that. So um, we should be working on making it easier for Mm -hmm. employees to innovate. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed 150 internal innovators over the course of about five years and asked each one, what were the barriers that you face and how do you overcome them? And the seven barriers pop out as the most commonly cited. Uh, I mashed them into a acronym, INNOVATE, I-N-O-V-A-T-E, so one Uh N. Um, I believe all models are wrong, but some are useful. I'm not saying there's magic to it, but this is just a helpful acronym to hopefully enable people to remember it. Uh, And so I stands for intent, which is have you the intent to look to innovate or have you been told no so many times that you've given up and have your Mm -hmm. employees lost the intent? How do you activate that intent? And it's very clear research of what generates intention and, um, and what limiting beliefs can destroy it. Um, The next is need, which is understanding what the organization needs that our strategies and priorities are so complex and so convoluted that people don't understand what, the company's priorities are mm-hmm. less than 40% mm-hmm. of mid-level managers can name even two of their company's top strategic priorities. So the next thing to solve 
as an internal innovator is figure out what your company strategy is. And as a leader is simplify your strategy. Mm-hmm. The next is O stands for options. So is the generation of lots of options to consider as opposed to getting myopically fixated with a few options. The next I call value blockers, but it's really business model conflict. So value blockers is whatever's stopping the value of your innovation from getting through the business model of the organization. So the way that you would want to price this innovation is different than the way that your company prices it, right? Mm -hmm. The brand you want to put on this is inconsistent with the company's current brands. So just learning how to do business model design will help you go back and just redesign the business model a little bit to reduce the risk that it gets rejected. Mm. Then we have um, A stands for ACT, which is allowing people to take action on the ideas without having to prove it. I say um, you, we, we, you have to do it to prove it, but your established company is likely wants you to prove it before they'll let you do it. So overcoming mm-hmm. that. You can overcome that by teaching agile experimentation, human-centered design, all kinds of techniques to overcome that. Uh, T stands for team, which is to say that it is difficult for an internal innovator to pull together the kind of cross-functional team they need in order to pursue the idea. Like you have to be likely have to be innovating with teaming up with someone in um, operations and someone in technology, someone in sales, someone in customer support, right? And they don't all report to the same person. And so you can't get together. So mm-hmm. there are ways to overcome that, such as creating informal interest groups, giving people time to work on things that are outside of their reporting structure, that kind of thing. And if you're an internal innovator, you look for bosses that allow that type of collaboration. Mm-hmm. And then E is sort of a bundle of a number of things that, I, that stands for environment. So it's having the right talent and the kind of talent that you need to be a successful internal innovator uh, is different than what you expect. In other words, it's different than an entrepreneur and is different than a traditional manager. Having the right organizational structures, um, like incentives that encourage innovation, the um, allowing for organizational freedom, there are certain cultural norms that are shown to correlate with higher levels of internal innovation, and then basically leaders that prioritize innovation. So mm-hmm. those are those are the, those are the seven. Intent, need, options, wow. value blockers, act, team, environment. And based on the research and interviews you conducted, were, were, were there certain barriers that were more prominent and more difficult for internal innovators to overcome? Yeah, I think it just depends on the, I don't know what, if it's like a stage or just the state of the organization. So mm. they're they kind of differ across organizations, but the thing that comes up over and over again is, is, is act and being able to take action on an idea before you can prove it. And some mm-hmm. new research that we've, that we've found is that we, 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 we surveyed 500 mid-level managers and we asked them a number of questions. One of the questions was to what extent do you agree with this statement? It is easy to get the resources and time to pursue a new idea here. One to five. And then we asked them, do you outperform, does your firm outperform the competition consistently? Um, is, is, is your firm better at recruiting and retaining top talent? And um, 
Yeah, and so those are the two main ones. And we saw a Mm -hmm. very strong correlation that if you get a five to that answer, you get a five on outperformance. So if you make it easy, you will outperform your, 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 your competitors, both in terms of being able to recruit and retain talent, and you'll outperform financially. So mm-hmm. that's like, I think the most common step is someone has an idea and they got to run an experiment and do we make it easy for them to do that? Yeah. And if you were to give some advice to maybe people managers on, on how best to maybe cultivate an environment that would be beneficial for an internal innovator, maybe what are the two or three things that you would suggest to them? Yeah. The first I say is implement something to address that first issue that I just talked about. And I think I love Michael Fraga is a guy that is a professor at MIT and he coined this idea of a five, a five by five experiment. I'm not sure I'm going to get this exactly right, but give five people, $5,000, five weeks, one or two days a week to come up with five ideas that can be uh, tested. I forget what the other five is, but you know, you get the idea. So implement yeah. something like that, right? That's, that is something that you have control over. Um, the second is, I would say, creating space for people to explore impossible ideas, crazy ideas, mm-hmm. things that aren't technically feasible right now, and include that in your agenda. So, you know, here's an idea. We, don't, we, we, we know we, this is not execution. We can't execute against this now, but let's spend time thinking about how could we make it something that we could execute on, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I think the third thing would be sharing ideas and um celebrating ideas, especially ideas that fail and the learning that comes from those ideas. Even if they aren't ideas that are new ideas, one of our clients, Macmillan, they ran an interesting program in which they had an idea fair, if you will, an idea competition, but these were not new ideas. These were ideas that your team came up with a year ago and you've now implemented. And the goal here is to celebrate that type of activity and thinking, right? Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, pe- people people naturally gravitate to what is recognized and celebrated. Mm-hmm. And so that's something you doesn't cost much in the way of money to start celebrating and sharing those ideas. Yeah, yeah. You know, you also just said something really interesting to me, which is, you know, even if you've got an idea and it could be a really great idea, but it just doesn't work out, we should spend time kind of learning from, from that failure. What do you think it is about right. that type? Yeah. And what is it about those failures that we, we, we as maybe humans just aren't good at gleaning maybe the silver lining within those failed yeah. ideas? Yeah. Yeah. It's, we have this odd, irrational bar around innovation, right? Like, Mm. I don't know. My daughter is a great soccer player. The chances that she ends up being a professional soccer player is, I don't know what that is, 3%. -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so do I discourage her from learning to play soccer? No. (laughs) There's so many things that we pursue in life with a low probability because there's value in the pursuit 
And if you mm-hmm. don't pursue them, then that 3% chance is never going to happen. We'll never have another, you know, another women's soccer team. If, mm-hmm. you know, and, and yet the success rate of innovations is, there are a bunch of studies that have a range of success rates, but it's something like 15%. And we often, that means that 85% of the time, the innovation has failed. But when yeah. you frame that as a failure, then it makes you less likely to try the next one. Mm-hmm. You've got to try. You need to be trying at least 10 things before you can start expecting a success, you know? Yeah. So a yeah. good way to frame that is is, is to value the learning um, that comes from it, the lessons learned. I think it's – I forget exactly the exact story, but there's this famous case of the the Amazon team that developed their um, – I think it was the – I forget what it was called. It was Amazon Fire, but the mobile phone. Mm-hmm. And it was a complete failure, but they kept the team intact and the team had learned a lot of stuff about voice. And so they came up with another idea. And the other idea was the smart speaker, Amazon Alexa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that has become a huge, huge, you know, a huge hit and a, and a huge part of Amazon long-term strategy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems to me too, um, you know, yeah, there's, there's so much value in learning from the things that maybe didn't work out. Like you just pointed out, there could be other successful things that are spawned from, from the things that didn't work out. I also sort of see this idea of maybe trying to celebrate people's courage for even sort of stepping out there. Right. You know what I mean? Right. That's a good point. It's a great point. I yeah. agree. 100%. Yeah. Because that courage then can be, first of all, it's just, I think courage is just an innately positive yeah. trait. Mm-hmm. But even if you want to just take functional value for that, it's courage that is going to have you try the next thing and eventual pro- progress. I, I want to say all progress, but I don't know if that's exactly true, but it seems to me that all progress has come from courage, from humans yeah. trying something, taking on a mountain or taking on a, a problem. You know, Albert Einstein said, it's not that I'm so smart, it's that I stay with problems longer. Mm. Having that persistence, which I think is also courage to sit there and look at the problem again and again. Oh, just so inspirational, right? I think so. Yeah, I think people are, people are inspirational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Affinity Strategies is a full-service nonprofit healthcare associate management and stakeholder engagement firm. They use digital-first solutions to promote transparent, efficient business practices. They partner with each client organization to maximize both staff and client expertise, experience, and relationships to meet goals. To learn more about Affinity Strategy Services, the team, and the mission-driven work they have done and continue to do, visit their website at affinity-strategies.com. All right. I'd like to switch gears a little bit, if you don't mind, and wondering if you might be able to talk with us about how an entrepreneurial mindset is useful and perhaps imperative to the healthcare industry. So people who are successful at the type of entrepreneurship that we have been talking about, which is you know, entrepreneurship from inside an organization, mm-hmm. they still have certain mindsets that make them look like entrepreneurs, right? They are, um, they have strong awareness of what is needed in the market. 
they are proactive. So they take action without without asking for um, permission. Um, mm-hmm. And they tend to be innovative thinkers, right? Um, there are some traits that make them look different, however, which is they have strong political acumen mm. and they actually enjoy the politics. They view the political challenge as part of the problem solving process. So they don't get frustrated by that mm. part of the problem. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, they also have an interesting relationship to, um, to risk in that they're not risk seeking um, they look to create risk asymmetry where there's a low downside, but a high upside, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so those are some of the characteristics. So the, so the first point is that entrepreneurial mindset is the entrepreneurial mindset is similar to, but a little bit different than the entrepreneurial mindset. Sure. You know? Sure. And, and, and I think that for, for, for healthcare in particular, if we look at um, historical innovations, Historical innovations that have strong social uh, benefit, that they tend to rally a coalition around the possibility, right? So if you if you're inventing, um, I don't know, I'm just going to make if you're inventing a faster car, other people are going to compete with you to invent faster cars. But if you are inventing a cure for something, um. You're inventing a vaccine and, you know, it creates uh, a natural coalition. And so in healthcare, yeah. the idea is the innovations have come because healthcare innovations tend to be stronger, have stronger social value or, you know, mm-hmm. higher social value, whatever the word, I'm not using the right word, but you understand my point. You know, they, they tend to be those kinds of innovations that um, pull together coalitions of like-minded organizations and people that are interested in solving this human problem. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep. And yep. those are the most important problems. So I think that that's why you're for society having an entrepreneurial um, mindset in healthcare is so important. Yeah, that is really interesting. And of course, I never thought of it quite like that, but it makes total sense now that you've kind of walked us through how that mindset is is so important to healthcare. Kayan, I'm wondering if you could suggest some ways in which organizations can continue to generate what what you call disruptive yet creative ideas. Yeah, I think it's a, there's like a balance of. Uh, so this is drawing from my third book, which was my favorite book, but the least read. But I think oh. I keep coming back to this. This is an ancient, or this is, we're healthcare, right? So this is an ancient yep. Chinese medicinal medicinal framework but you can apply it to your question. So there are five phases. There is the first phase where you need to kill off things. Things need to die. You need to stop doing things that aren't working. Mm. And you know, for an organization, when they stop doing things that aren't working, it frees up time and energy, attention on new things. You need to be dreaming up things is the next thing. Things that aren't yet possible, you're not taking any action on them, but you're dreaming about them. You're talking about possibilities, things that you've started doing, but they're going slowly. Every Mm. innovation goes through a phase where you're putting a lot of energy in, but not seeing a lot of results. It's like, um, I'm not sure if this is exactly true, but I heard this in a book that, um, that bamboo takes several years to grow because it's building up roots, a, a complex root system underground. And then at the right time, then it shoots up like two stories tall in a week. Wow. So 
we often like give up on the innovations because we're in that phase of putting mm-hmm. energy in and getting more money out. Then there's the next phase where the innovation is really taking off. So you want to be doing things that you know are really scaling, and there's really about holding on to the reins of this fast horse and you know staying on the saddle. Um, and then there's the phase where the innovation has matured, and it is about sustaining that innovation. Mm-hmm. And when the innovation flows, it's because there's a blockage there. You're either not killing things off, you're not dreaming up things, you're not launching things that aren't scaling, you're not scaling things, or you're not protecting the things that have scaled. Of course, the cycle begins again. The thing that you innovated that has scaled, now it needs to die. It's lived its life. So we need to destroy that, you know, in an act of creative destruction, destroy that to allow the cycle to begin again. Uh Uh-huh. It sounds simple, yet... I'm sure very difficult at times to implement. Yeah, I think because they require a different mindset. Like, you know, mm-hmm. in these in the phase where things are going slowly, you need patience. Mm-hmm. And in the phase where things are taking off, maybe patience is the last thing you should have, right? You need urgency. So I think it, they require very different at least leadership approaches. That mm-hmm. makes it difficult. Yeah, yeah. And just thinking about the countless times in my career where I've gone through one of those start, stop, continue exercises, which Mm -hmm. I get it on its face. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is always seemingly kind of the meeting after the meeting when you decide on the things that you're no longer going to do. It, it tend, I've seen it to kind of devolve into, well, are we really going to stop doing those things? If we don't do those things, who is going to do those things? And how can we then convince somebody else to do those things? It just seems to really be kind of, um, kind of a non-starter in a way, because I feel like whenever I've gone through that exercise, we haven't been able to get by that kind of stop phase in order to be able to, you know, start something new. Any, any mm-hmm. thoughts about yes. that? Yeah, there's a, um, there's a nice simple framework that I find our chief strategy officers gravitate to. And I'm actually going to be interviewing the creator of this um, tomorrow on my podcast. Ooh. It's called the three box solution. Okay. It's very simple. There's the core things that you need to be doing to keep your, your business or organization running. There's the new things that you need to be doing that could become core in the future, the experimentation, and then there's the stop doing bucket. And um, and we need to be, you know, killing off things that 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 we shouldn't be doing anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just a simple way of making sure that you have something in all those all those bucket buckets. And, mm-hmm. and I think the issue is like it's, it's hard to know when it's time to cut and stop doing something. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah, it is. It is hard. Um, in the few times that I've seen it work out okay, it really, it really did take a leader to be able to manage the political fallout from, you know, the declaration of, hey, everybody, we're going to stop doing, you know, X versus, mm-hmm. you know, just talking about it theoretically. And then there's nobody to kind of pull that forward Um and yeah. actually realize that stop. Yes, yes, that's right. 
Yeah, yeah there's so many, and there's so many reasons why that could be. It could be fear of the unknown. It could be yeah. just complacency. It could be the perceived per uh, safety of it. You know, I know the outcome hasn't been great in the past, but at least I know what the outcome would be if I do this new thing. I don't know what the outcome's going to be. Sure. You know, there's so many different reasons why um, we cling to um, what we have done, have yeah. been doing. Yeah. Well, how we've always done it, right? Right. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. That is really, really helpful and um, really interesting. You know, my last substantive question for you today is if you could share three of the most relevant pieces of advice for leaders on how they can drive innovation, what would those be? For leaders, the number one thing is to show that you prioritize innovation, to make sure that in every meeting you've got innovation on the agenda, because what that does is it communicates and cascades down, hey, um, this boss really cares about innovation, and so we'll be recognized and rewarded for it. And you know, it's not just um, it's not just talk. So mm -hmm. that's the the first thing and the easiest thing. The second thing is um, to um, start looking for those people who are the innovators that um, may not fit the profile of what we think the innovator is, those, those attributes I shared with before, find those innovative thinkers that are proactive and understand the market, but also find those people who are good at the politics and enjoy the politics. Unfortunately, they're hard to find often because they're working from behind the scenes. They're picking yeah. up phone calls and making, opening the door and they're, they're lining up the cannons They're and, 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 and they're not even pursuing recognition. So it's hard to recognize them. It's hard to find them, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So finding and, and, and cultivating, cultivating those people. Um, and I'm just going through my list and just trying to think if I only had three, you know, what, <laughs> what, what would I do? I guess, I guess the, I guess, I guess it would be, um, I would find some way of putting all of these ideas out there on a visible format. I don't know if there's like a big board or a, you know, a Miro board or a physical yeah. something, you know, something because humans can only remember, retain seven plus mm -hmm. or minus two things in short-term working memory, right? And so yeah. we want to have 10 innovation. We don't have one innovation. We need to have 10 underway. We can't remember 10 things. So that's why we feel overwhelmed with, oh, I've got too many ideas, right? Um, yeah. Having them all in one place allows us to mentally put that aside. I don't have to remember all 10 things we're working on because I know they're written down and I can like, I know there's a physical memory device there that I can turn to when I need to. And so I can turn my back on them and work on something else for a while. Um, I think that's really important, that display. I do too. I'm trying to do very, very tangible things. Good. Yeah. Well, yeah. Th those are really, really great suggestions and, you know, not, not very difficult, right? For leaders to yeah. put into practice, which, um, you know, I think we all at times need reminders of, of just the simplicity of, of how to do some of these things. And those are great options. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. Kaihan, we have reached the point in our um, time together where I'd like to learn a little bit more about you and our listeners can learn a little bit more about you and uh, would love to get to the lightning round questions. How do you feel about that? Okay. I like it. Okay. All right. Try it. All right. <laughs> All right. 
Here's the first one. Would you please describe yourself in three words? I'd say um, curious, passionate, committed. Ah, great. Great descriptions. Favorite day of the week? I don't know if other people would describe me that way, but that's how I see myself. (laughs) Um, I love Saturdays. It's not yet the end of the weekend. I just came back from a trip. I get my New York Times and I get to sit in the pool after taking my kids to um, their track and field practice early in the morning. I get to sit in the pool and read the newspaper. I love, I love Saturdays. Nice. Lovely. Lovely. Last song you downloaded. Oh my gosh. Um, Ingrid. Uh, it's a new, a new country music song. Uh, Singer from Nashville that I discovered, Ingrid Ines, I think it's called Ignis. Oh. So it, I forget, I forget. But uh, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll let you know and maybe put it in the show notes. But she's yeah. like poetry. It's it's poetry. Um, oh, and, and and very very catchy music too. Nice. Are you a typical country music fan? Do you typically yeah. listen to country music? Yeah. I do. I do. I do. I don't know. Yeah. My, my wife is from the South and maybe for that reason, I started liking it. Um, yeah. I, 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 I love it. I, cause I just think that the, um, again, the, the, the work that's put into putting together the, the, the lyrics is just, is, is phenomenal. Ah, very good. Very good. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Definitely speak every language in the world. Definitely. I mean, what we could, what you could do with that for me, I would, I would, uh, we could organize together to create a future that works for animals and humans and and earth. If we could, if we could better communicate with each other, that would be amazing. Yes, it would be. Favorite yeah. junk food? Popcorn, very buttery uh, popcorn, <laughs> microwave popcorn. Ooh, Sitting in front of a movie with my kids. Nice, nice. And then what we'll do is we also mix in um, hot pepper and garlic powder and oh, make what we call spicy popcorn. That sounds delicious. Oh, yeah. yeah. That sounds great. I have a feeling I may know the answer to this question. Ask permission or forgiveness? You know, I feel like my answer should be forgiveness. (laughs) Like that is the culturally appropriate answer in the United States. But I am a much more permission person. I like to see what the openness is to something and then maybe shape that permission or get that permission. Um, mm. even though my research says that that's not what you should be doing if you're an innovator and, uh, that's, that's, that's who I am. <laughs> that's why I thought I knew yeah. how you were going to answer that question, but you yeah. surprised me. You surprised me. <laughs> uh, okay. What is the most boring thing ever? Oh my God. I'm trying, let me try to say, you know, positive here. Um, okay. There's some business books. I read a lot of business books and was a lot of business. There's some business books that are just about small problems. Mm. How do I make the perfect cup of coffee? 
how do I run a mile and, you know, and whatever, 30 seconds faster, right? It's, mm-hmm. and there's so many bigger problems. There's water, there's hunger, there's equality. I think that we have <laughs> so much creative power out there that could be used for bigger problems than those very things. Than those. <laughs> The question always is for me, then why are people actually publishing these books, right? Yeah. I guess it's not boring to some people, right? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. If we were all interested in the same thing, that would be really boring. That would be really boring. You are correct. You are correct. (laughs) (laughs) How many times did you sneeze in the last seven days? Ooh, I have not sneezed in the last seven days. Oh, good for you. I no allergies then. I don't know why. You know, I, we moved from Connecticut to Miami, and um, I think it was like pollen season in Connecticut. And I don't sure. know if there's a pollen season in, in Miami or not. There must be, but maybe mm-hmm. the seasons are more spread out, and so we don't, it's not all concentrated, but I have not sneezed, not sneezed. Well, good for you. I suppose different yeah. vegetation may help um, yep. with yep. that. And my Humidity. goodness. Yes, mm-hmm. humidity. And that was a very long move. That was a big move for you and your family, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's been, we're in our fourth week and um, we're still not fully completed yeah. the move, fully yeah. unpacked. <sighs> well, yeah. Moving is one of those things you swear you're never going to do again. Mm-hmm. And then you do. Much <laughs> less across, halfway across the country, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Um, what is the fastest you've ever driven a car? My dad's from Germany. I've driven on the Autobahn uh-huh. a few times. So, uh-huh. you know, I guess probably, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, it's probably a little over 100 miles an hour, yeah. probably something like that. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine so. I, I was thinking that you yeah. would say you had, you know, driven on the Autobahn a few times, considering we're where your dad is from. So that makes sense. Um, yeah. That makes sense. But my son and I went down to this um, speedway that we have down here in Miami now. It's only, uh, it's only half an hour away. And on certain Fridays, they have a drag racing and just people oh. with their cars off the street come in, they pay $20 and then they can drag race against someone else down what? the, um, you know, the raceway. It's crazy. Oh, my gosh. And some really souped up cars. And some of them are just like, Volkswagen bug or, you know, oh my gosh. just a random car. It's pretty cool. That is crazy. But I mean, how yeah. smart for them to actually, you know, allow it to happen on the speedway. Maybe it happens less right. on the regular Make city streets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's exactly. a good idea. Good idea. Yeah. All right. What's for dinner tonight? Um, I normally, I, I love to cook. If um, I weren't a writer, I would, be I would try my hand at being a chef, so I love to cook. Unfortunately, today I'm not going to be cooking because I'm traveling to Philadelphia, getting in late. So I'll probably just grab something at the American Airlines lounge on uh, getting boarding the flight. All right. But normally, I'm well, an Ottolenghi. Like uh, I've got a bunch of his books, and I'm on the weekends. I'm pl- I'm planning out all week what I'm going to cook for the weekend. Oh, yum. Yum, yum. Dawn or dusk? Dusk. I love dusk. I love going for a run at um, the end of the day and just Mm -hmm. 
seeing the world just slip into sleep and mm. rest. I love mm. that. So peaceful, right? Yeah, it is. Nice, nice. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? <laughs> I think it depends if you are a what type of vegetarian you are, right? If you're very, if it's like the principle or the reality. If it's a principle, it's wrong. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a technical response. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. Oh yeah, that's funny. That is funny. Who do you admire? Wow. I admire, I admire my father who dedicated and is dedicating his whole life to just the curious pursuit of what he is passionate about. He's a professor. He's been a professor for over 50 years at the same university and he's not doing well health wise right now. And when he got the news, his first thought was, oh my gosh, I have to finish that writing project and how am I going to get, you know, this research done? And, you know, I think that's, that's, I think we should all find something we're so passionate about that it supersedes our own, our own attachment to our lives or, or whatever yeah. you want to call it, like something bigger, bigger than us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm so sorry that you're, that your dad is not doing very yeah. well. Thank you. Ugh, Thank yes, you. yes. What are you currently reading? I bet you're reading a bunch of stuff right now. Yes, I am reading a whole bunch of stuff, but most of the books that I'm reading right now and the stuff that I'm reading is about decentralized organizations and how they can come to be. That includes like decentralized autonomous organizations like DAOs. It includes um, just self-organizing and looking at organizations becoming more open and decentralized and liberating to allow that kind of um, entrepreneurial freedom. Yeah. That's what I'm my main interest is right now. So interesting. That's really interesting. I bet you will um, leverage all that reading in in the work that that your firm engages in. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's my last one for you today. What is your dream job other than the one, of course, you currently have? Uh, well, I alluded to before, I love to cook. Um, yeah. that, I don't know exactly what the job would be, but I think it would be, I have a restaurant. It's open. It's ours are when Kaihan wants to cook. The menu is what Kaihan wants to cook. And <laughs> it doesn't cost anything um, oh. to, to, to come in, but we only have room for 10 people. Okay. That's what I would okay. That would be my job. That yeah. sounds amazing um yeah and yeah you would have the liberty to be able to say well i'm open when i say i'm open right yes 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 yeah and you're going to eat what i chose to cook (laughs) that's right (laughs) because this is what was fresh and inspiring yeah oh that is fantastic i can't thank you enough for um your wisdom, your inspiration, your fantastic advice, and of course, your um, wonderful responses to the lightning round questions. This has been such a pleasure, and I greatly appreciate your time. Well, I'm, I'm honored to be on the podcast. Um, I really enjoy it. and Thank you for uh, including me. You bet. You bet. And uh, best wishes to you on, on your travels. Thank you. Thanks. 
What a great conversation with Kai Han. He provided practical advice and frameworks on how to encourage employees to be internal innovators, insights into the application of an entrepreneurial mindset in healthcare, and how organizations can generate disruptive and creative ideas. Kai Han also made references to his own books, as well as works of other folks that have influenced him. We've included some of that information, as well as a link to his podcast called OutThinker in the show notes for your reference. I hope you will check out these critical bodies of work. Today's episode was written and researched by me, Claire Vincent, with technical production provided by Derek Anderson and music from Caleb Justinger. Be sure to follow our series to stay up to date on new episodes. Share it with your friends. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, kindly give us a like. This helps us get the word out about our series. You can expect a new episode to drop sometime during the third week of each month. Thank you so much for listening to House Call and Affinity Strategies Podcast. We appreciate you so, so much. I look forward to catching up with you again in just a few weeks. Thanks again for listening. This is Claire Vincent.